Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. This is Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690 and ESPN690.com. All the things that we have will be covered by what would have been the end of our mini camp. So we've been trying to stay in phase with that 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 plan. So I think I think that's that's what it is. You know, when I would say, hey, listen, that's that's it. Now the rookies, I think it's a little bit different. I think you know the rookies can be expanded a little bit more, just more of a follow up. You know, I don't know how many days, but maybe a, you know a week or two, because normally how it works is, uh, you know, we're done somewhere in that second week of June, and then the rookies will usually stay on until, like, the 26th, the end of June. But a lot of that training for the rookies is more rookie development training for, you know, the league and moving and things of that nature. So, I mean, there is a point where let's go, you know, and I think that that point will be, you know, within the next, within the next week or two, Jaguars head coach Doug Marone talking about getting everybody ready. And I'll be honest with you, man. Listen, am I optimistic right now about Gardner Minshew's success this year? Yes. Am I excited for Gruden to bring something new to the Jaguars' offense? You better believe it. Am I pretty pumped up that I might be seeing a 3-4 defense, which I've been calling now for the past two years? You bet. But I'm also a realist here. And when I say I'm a realist, I'm speaking from the fact that, listen, it's one thing to do all these Zoom meetings, okay? It helps when you have a genius quarterback with a very high football IQ like Gardner Minshew. It helps when you bring in a quarterback's coach like Ben McAdoo, who's had experience working with quarterback greats before, such as Aaron Rodgers. It obviously helps bring in a Jay Gruden in, who, um, you know, all things considered, what we've heard so far is kind of like that player's coach. He gets a lot of his players, especially on the offensive side of the ball, obviously. So there is a lot to like, but the biggest question mark remains. And right now it's when are the Jacksonville Jaguars going to be able to get on the field and install this new offense and also install this new defense? Okay, because when you break down great teams, when you break down the Kansas City Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, let's be honest. Patrick Mahomes, one of the best quarterbacks going right now in the NFL, maybe even the, one of the best quarterbacks right now of the last decade. And he's only played for, like, what, three years? But he's that good. But there's a reason why Patrick Mahomes doesn't hold out. There's a reason why Patrick Mahomes shows up to training camp every single day, doesn't just take it easy and be like, you know what, we're the Kansas City Chiefs. We got the high-powered offense. I got Travis Kelsey. I got Tyreek Hill. I have Nicole Hardman. I just got a brand-new, shiny new running back that's going to do damage. Oh, and by the way, I probably have the best play caller right now in the game in Andy Reid. I can just take my time, and I'll be all right. But that's not how the NFL works. Patrick Mahomes shows up for every single practice, doesn't skip anything, because do you know why? Patrick Mahomes needs that time to get reacquainted with the offense. Patrick Mahomes needs that time to get reestablished with the play calls. Patrick Mahomes needs that time to come back for a training camp and establish the rapport with the receivers. And this is my point. 
Okay, it's one thing to go on these Zoom calls. It's one thing to, you know, talk about it via like a webcam, and that's great. You know, that players learn like that. Don't get me wrong. I know a lot of guys that I shared a locker room with, we could put something on the board and they can go out there and do it, no problem. I was never one of those people. I, I was a physical learner. I actually had to see it in front of me to make it happen. And maybe a lot of guys are the type of learners who, when they hear something or when they see something, they can do it. Okay? I was never one of those types of players. But my point is is that when a play is called, whether it's on offense or defense, it's not just one guy doing his job. It has to be 11 guys on the field doing their job at the exact same time to make this work. And unfortunately, you can't get that done over Zoom calls. Unfortunately, you can't get that done talking on the phone. The only way to do it is obviously do it against you know an opponent, to do it in practice, in a live setting. And that's the only way you get better. That's the only way you develop your timing. I understand learning the playbook right now because you, you, you do what you have to do, right? We're in a pandemic, and you make the best with what you have. And I'm not knocking that whatsoever. But I'm just saying right now, if there is a part of me that's, I guess, flying the flag for the black parade right now, I'm flying the flag, and, I, and I'm not on the sunshine and rainbows. If there's a part of me where it's like, man, how good will the Jacksonville Jaguars be this year? It's the part of me that says, well, when do they get on the field? When do they get established? When do they actually see the new offense and new defense come into fruition? Because right now, we're talking about a Jacksonville Jaguars team who lost probably its biggest pillar with Calais Campbell, quite possibly lost its second biggest pillar with A.J. Boye, okay? So immediately, you're kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong. You still have Miles Jack. You have Josh Allen, who's probably going to go into more of a leadership role this year, coming out of a rookie year, and obviously, we talk about it all the time. The guy is mature beyond his years, but there's a lot of question marks right now, and unfortunately, those question marks can't get answered. That defense, that 3-4 defense that we're always talking about, until we see it on the field, until we see the new Jay Gruden offense on the field, of where LaVisca Chanel's going to line up, of where DJ Chark's going to line up in the slot, or where Forever, the implementation of you know Chris Thompson and what Tyler Everett's going to bring to the table, it's fantastic to talk about, man. And it's great to have these Zoom meetings and do that. But until we see it on the field, and by we I mean the coaches, the players, until they actually see it and feel it on the field, we're, we're still in day one. Okay, and it's as simple as that. So I think we have some audio here, Coos, of Gardner Minshew actually talking about just what meetings have been like now, right? Because you can't go on the field. Oh, I'm sorry, we had Doug Marone talking about it here, about how, just exactly how our practice is happening right now via online. When you talk about the whiteboard and what Gardner is doing, that is, that's totally separate, you know what I'm saying, from the staff. So that pretty much probably, for lack of a better way to describe it, really takes, a, takes, uh, takes the place of, you know, you read about these quarterbacks that get together with their receivers and you know, work on things extra during the off season. These players, and we're not we're not on these calls when when that's going on. You know, they're they're getting together on their own, and you know, it sounds like they're going through where they're calling plays, they're discussing it. I like that because obviously, um, you know, you have these you know you have our players. They're talking to each other. They're, they're trading some chemistry, and I think it creates accountability amongst themselves. Nicely put there by Doug Marone. Um, you know, he does make some solid points, right, where the last thing you want to be if you're a young guy, or even if you're a vet coming to a new team, when you get asked the question, when you have to go to this quote-unquote virtual whiteboard to drop your assignment, the last thing you want to do is screw up. 
Okay, like it's one thing to screw up in person when a coach calls you up in front of the team to draw on the whiteboard and you screw it up. I mean, that sucks, man. That's that's one of the worst feelings in the world. I should know. I've done it before, okay? But I still think there's kind of that sense of accountability a little bit when we're talking about, you know, the, 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 the virtual process as well. And that accountability has to be absolute. So I am a fan of that. You know, I, I am a fan of of guys being held accountable for knowing their playbook. I mean, let's be honest. If you're a pro football player, okay, if you're a rookie or if you're a vet, I say this all the time. You need to know your playbook. As a matter of fact, was, I think two Fridays ago when I did my letter to the rookies, one of the biggest things that I stressed about to every single rookie coming in here, whether you're a first-round pick or an undrafted free agent, it's you have to know your playbook. Because if you don't know that, and if you're kind of on the outside looking in about making a team, as soon as you mess up that play and you get pulled out, your ass is gone. Simple as that. It's a cutthroat league, and coaches don't have time for guys who don't know their playbook. So I do like the sense of accountability here. Obviously, I do like Gardner Minshew, you know, being the high football IQ guy that he is, you know, kind of holding people accountable, and I like that. But once again, I just go back to my old point right now where we're not going to know or the team's not going to know exactly what that offense is going to look like. The team's not going to know exactly what they have at wide receiver, what they have at tight end, what they have at offensive line, what they have on defense, what the 3-4 defense is going to look like until we see it on the field. Okay, And that's, to me, that's a huge competitive disadvantage. I'll tell you what, Andy Reid right now, sitting in these Zoom meetings, knows what he has. Knows that he's got a very high-powered offense and a defense that's made some upgrades. He knows what he has. The Baltimore Ravens right now, they know what they have. They know they have a team who can pound their rock, play that physical defense. Oh, and guess what? They've upgraded their defensive line. Maybe a weak point for them last year. Obviously, it's hard against the Tennessee Titans. The Baltimore Ravens know what they have right now. A lot of teams right now in the NFL know what they have. They know what they have, and they know what they have to do. And unfortunately right now, when we're talking about the Jacksonville Jaguars, they don't know what they have, okay? And we're not going to know what they have until they get on the field. So obviously, I think if you're a Jaguars fan right now, you have to hope, come hell or high water, that the Jaguars get back on the field as soon as possible. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand. We're in a pandemic. I'm not saying, well, you know, fudge the rules and get back out there as soon as possible so you see what you got. No. Obviously, do it within the confines of the structure that the NFL and the NFLPA set up. But we need to see players back on the field, man, because there's a lot of stuff to install. There's a lot of stuff to learn, and there's a lot of continuity that needs to be brought to the forefront before the Jacksonville Jaguars can even be considered um, a decent team. Okay? I want to shift gears here a little bit here before we go to break, and it's something we talked about yesterday a little bit. I want to kind of delve back into it, and it's the rule changes. You know, um, it's it's funny. It seems like every single year we have at least one or two implementations that either go through, that get voted no, and we're sitting here left as NFL fans like, why are we doing this? What's a catch? Are we going to have an onside kick? We're always left with the questions, and let's be honest, we don't get a lot of answers. I think we have some audio here, Coos, of Doug Marone actually talking about today the implementation of some new rule changes and what he thinks about them. Yeah, I think I think we're right on board with everything. You know, um, how that usually works is it comes out, you know, obviously to us of the, the proposals and the bylaws and, you know, the committees work them all out. You know, obviously the competition committees and other committees too. So, you know, they start coming out and then, and then there's a discussion that goes on, um, you know, to what's really best for your team. Um, I may have discussion with other coaches around the league, you know, what their thoughts are if I, if I don't have a good understanding of something. Um, you know, the people that actually put the proposal up. 
And then the way the process works is, uh, you know, obviously I receive a copy, uh, Dave receives a copy, and ownership, you know, Shad receives a copy. So basically I'll look at it, Dave and I will talk and have have conversations about it, and then obviously we'll we'll meet with Shad. All of this obviously was virtual or over the phone. You know, we meet and we talk and we discuss what we think is, is, is best for, you know, obviously what's best for our football team, but also what's best for the game. So, um, you know, we were, you know, in favor of, of everything that, that occurred the other day. Interesting. A little behind the scenes of the process that um, goes into, you know, either voting yes or voting no for the new rule changes and things like that. Cause I think we've really got your opinion on, are you for the onside kick or do you want to see the, I think it's the fourth and 15? The, well, so the first thing I thought of, and it kind of goes back to what Doug said there a little bit, mm-hmm. was we talk about if it benefits our team. Sure. So, like, that's what I've been thinking of this whole time. Is there teams that would say, no, this doesn't benefit us because we have the best, uh, you know, punt returner in the game? Is there yeah. a is there a, a team that would be arguing that angle? So, as far as from your point, is there a team in the NFL that would argue that they want to keep the onside kick? Yeah, like, let's yeah, keep well, it because... And, and listen, and to me, I mean, there's a few teams, and when you talk about that, you're talking about the good kickers. Like, I'm t- talking about, like, the outlier kickers that are unworldly. Um, and the one that comes to mind for me is Justin Tucker. Okay, Justin Tucker right now, ask any kicker in the game who doesn't have an ego that's just drenched in um, hate and criticism. Justin Tucker is the best kicker in the NFL. Okay, and what that guy is able to do, not only under pressure, but also in terms of onside kicks. Coos, I saw the guy. I don't think he even had a tee. Like he somehow like bounced the ball up with his toe and then kicked it one time on a video. I don't know how he did it, man. It was like it was black magic in Baltimore. Okay, that's the only explanation that I can think of what Justin Tucker is bringing the table as a kicker. So I think there are a couple guys out there like the Justin Tuckers, the Baltimore Ravens, um, you know, a few other teams that listen. We like our kicker. We're paying him the big bucks. We, we like our onside kick chances. Don't but, change the rule. But even so, but even like I guess to the like your onside chances like they're yeah. very slim yeah so yeah, no no absolutely and i think when you talk about a fourth and 15 with a game on the line or an onside kick listen i don't know the percentages from the fourth and 15 per se but i gotta assume since this rule was brought in, in the first place that it's pretty comparable okay i would think that a uh, a fourth and 15 to you know to try to extend the game try to win the game you probably have the same amount of chance, if not maybe a little more, than converting an onside kick. Now, obviously, don't bring up the Jacksonville Jaguars fans because Patriots, I think it was you know, third, and, third and 13 or whatever it was, um, wasn't a good look for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But it's, it, it, it's about the same percentage, I would say. I think that something doesn't really get brought up a lot when we're talking about these rule things because, let's be honest, every team has their own um, initiative. Right, like for instance, Doug Marone said it's not going to benefit. I mean, if it benefits us, then yeah, we're for the rule. If it doesn't, then so be it. Am I wrong to think right now that the NFL league offices, that the commissioner, whoever's in charge of implementing these rules, am I wrong to think that maybe they should get the fans' perspective a little bit? Now, I get it. The fans don't run football, okay? The fans aren't on the field, but I do think the NFL fans are a big part of why the NFL is so successful, right? We always talk about the NFL in terms of professional sports is the most successful um, league in the entire country and probably only second worldwide to soccer. Um, I think something should be said for the fans. Like, for instance, 
the whole catch rule thing. Did anybody ever ask a fan, hey, what do you, what do you think about the rules of the catch? No, I guarantee, because you know why? Because I see fans every single Sunday going on Twitter complaining about that wasn't a catch. No, that was a catch. That guy should be fired. This referee sucks. Yada, yada, yada. And, and, and we always see this just this giant snowball of, uh, of criticism because we don't know what a catch is yet. So, Kuz, I guess my question to you is, do you think that maybe fans, and, and, and I'm careful how I word this here, but do you think fans should be considered in how these rule changes are coming into effect? Um, I Part of me says yes, because like then, then you know, they wouldn't essentially have something to complain about. Is that you <laughs> sure. pick this way? I mean, sure, people voted against it, sure, but, yeah, you yeah. know. But the other part of me says no, because if you do that, it opens the door to them feeling like they'll have influence in other parts of the game. You know what? I mean, because it's it's not a bad point there. I I just go back to this, though, right, where obviously if you're a head coach and all of a sudden you hear, what, fans are going to actually vote about rules? If I'm head coach, I'm irate. And you know what? If I'm probably a player, I'm a little upset as well. Because you know what the narrative is? The narrative is that, listen, I'm out here sacrificing my body. I'm out here putting it on the line. And we're going to let fans have a say of what the rules should be? Screw you. To hell with you. Remember the the NBA All-Star game, right? The the fan has a vote. But but this is my point. And you see players pop up that are like. But Kuz, but this is my point here. This is what I'm trying to say. In terms of pro bowlers in the NFL, the fans have a say. In terms of voting a player all pro, which is the most prestigious thing that you can get as an NFL player, obviously all decade, but all pro is a very prestigious award. Being an all pro follows you for the rest of your life. When you introduce yourself, when you introduce somebody, you introduce them as an all pro or a hall of famer. It's that great of an accomplishment. But you know who votes on the all pros? Do you know who votes on the Hall of Famers? It's the media. It's not former players. It's not current players. It's not players associated with the teams. It's the media that covers covers them. So what you're saying is the media should vote if we get this fourth and fifteen. Maybe, man. <laughs> but but you know what? Like, and the more I start to see behind the curtain, obviously I think the media's got their own. Um, you what know, you, I, th- I think they had their own initiatives too. What do you think so, would get more play on social media? A fourth and fifteen conversion or like an awesome onside kick actual oh, recovery? Fourth and fifteen all day because it's, it's like I said before yesterday on the show here, Coos. If we're talking about which one is better for the game, a fourth and fifteen or an onside kick? An onside kick, a lot of things have to happen. And with a lot of those things, it requires a lot of luck. And if I'm a football player, Yeah, obviously luck happens all the time in a game, but I don't want to lose a game because of luck. I don't want to lose a game because the ball bounced a certain way and it was like an nth percentage that it was supposed to do that. If I'm a player, I don't want to do that, especially be on the defensive side of the ball. If I'm on defense and it's 4th and 15 and the game's on the line, then I embrace that. Then I say, you know what? If this team can convert a fourth down, a first down on 4th and 15, then we don't deserve to win this game. I like that saying a lot better than let's just leave it up to the football gods on an onside kick and hopefully it rolls our way. I don't like that. And, and once again, and I'm going to drive this point home that's going to break here, Kuz, but in terms of we let media members pick the all pros, we let media members pick the Hall of Famers, and these are guys that maybe have never played football before in their entire lives. And no, don't get me wrong. They're very accomplished, and they have every right to vote on that. But I'm just saying, why wouldn't you leave the rules then up to the media, to the fans, just like you do to the all-star votes, or I'm sorry, the Pro Bowl votes, just like you do to the Hall of Fame votes? 
Leave it up to the media and the fans then. Or at least let them have a say. Because I'm tired of going on Twitter and seeing the backlash. And I'm sure there's a lot of referees in the NFL that are tired about it too. Hey, when we come back here on ESPN 690, we're going to be joined by some more Jacksonville Giants players. Since it is Jacksonville Giants Day, uh, around 4.30 we're going to be joined by Kelvin Warner, a guy I actually spent some time with playing against and playing with in practice and in games. So we'll talk to him a little bit. And then also Maurice Mickens will be joining us in the 5 o'clock hour. But we're going to have more conversation, obviously. We're going to be talking more about Doug Marone, his coaching philosophy. We're going to be talking more about the rule changes and things like that. And obviously, hey, listen, I know it's me doing a lot of talking right now, and I'm sure my voice is kind of going hoarse, but I want to hear your thoughts about the Jacksonville Jaguars, about rule changes, about whatever. We can talk UFC or wrestling if you want to. Let's get weird. It's a Friday. Be sure to give us a call at 904-362-9901. That's 904-362-9901. More to come when we get back after the break at ESPN 690. Welcome back to Action Sports Jacks here on ESPN 690. I'm Austin Lane, joined by Justin Coos, pushing all the right buttons. My co-host, Brent Martineau, is probably getting rained on right now, watching his son play a little baseball. And Coos, real quick, I, I got to address something I just noticed here in the break room. Obviously, I went to go warm up my, my, my dinner here. You know, I'm enjoying it. Have you checked out the vending machines lately of what they're putting in the vending machines? They have, the, no. they have this thing called the Bang Energy Drink. You ever heard of it? Oh, that's like the new one, right? Uh, where, all I okay, listen. All I saw was a lot of exclamation points, and all I saw was super creatine. It said on it. Now, oh. for those of people at, at home that don't know what no creatine is, it's a it's a supplement that's used to add water weight to boost your recovery. The problem is though is that if you drink too much creatine or if you consume too much creatine, it can be detrimental to not only your kidneys but also your muscles in general. So you have to drink a lot of water with it. How many people, Coos, do you think in the Cox Media uh, building here know that and are just drinking the Bang Energy drinks without no knowledge of what creatine is? Well, now I'm in, I'm interested in general because I know a lot of people that like stand by that drink. Yeah. Oh, I know. I yeah. see them all the time. All I'm going to say is... I didn't realize that was in there. Monday, it's going to be a TED Talk of why creatine should be used with caution and not as an energy drink. More of that Monday. But, <laughs> but, but right now, obviously, we're celebrating Jacksonville Giants Day here on ESPN 690. We talked to the head coach. Well, I guess my coach for a game, if you will. But now we're joined about, we're joined with a player. And speaking of creatine and jacked up, I mean, Kuz, believe me when I say this. This guy right here, when we practiced, didn't want to see him in the post. Thankfully, he's a nice guy and didn't take it too hard on me. But right now, we are joined. One second, let me bring it up here. So I got it. Uh oh, hold up one second. <laughs> we are joined right now by Kelvin Warner of the Jacksonville Giants. Kelvin, what's going on, my man? Nothing much, man. How you doing? Not too bad, Matt. It's great to hear from you. So, Calvin, let's get right into it right away. You know, I mean, we okay. had Coach Williams on the show before, and he told me it, and I saw it when we played together, but you had a special team this past season. You know, I mean, you guys would be destined for probably for another ABA National Championship. All of a sudden, the pandemic hits, COVID-19 hits, and the league gets shut down. Can you kind of take us in that locker room a little bit of just what transpired, what the feelings were like when Coach told you that there would be no, you know, the season would be canceled for the rest of the year? Man, it was shocking because you know we uh, we went twenty five and one on the season, and to come right down to the week before the last you know regular season game uh, around the league, um, you know we were having a little break and then spring break came and then the news came, so like we weren't 
we we were on break for like a week at the time. So to get the news, we weren't in our regular practices every day. So like we were pretty much on vacation and got the news. And then, you know, we everyone was just hoping and praying. And uh, it was just it was just a sad day for us all. Horrible news to to finish the season like that. Not a champion or anyone. Kelvin, do you find yourself now and the rest of your teammates, I mean, do you kind of feel like there's unfinished business for next year? Is that kind of how you're approaching this right now because that's kind of all you can do? Well, yeah, I guess because we, we, we want to uh, – I mean, no one's a champion, so we're still the champions from the previous year. But mm-hmm. in our minds, you know, we didn't finish the season, so, it, I mean, it don't really count for anything. So I guess it's kind of a goal because we were on our way to a 5 peak. And – to not get a chance to do that, and we were so close, like weeks away, and had the team to do it, and to not do it, you know, it's just it, it, it's heartbreaking. Kelvin, you know, you you have a great story. You grew up in Washington D.C., and when you hear Washington D.C., as I said, you think of a lot of things. But for me personally, I think of a of a very uh, great city that's rich with basketball tradition. When you're about 13 years old, you move to Jacksonville. What was that transition like going from D.C. to Jacksonville, number one? But also, what was that going like from a basketball player in Washington, D.C. to Jacksonville? Uh, well, it was different. I guess coming coming so around that age is, is when you really start to kind of learn the game a little bit. I was still fresh around the game. So, you know, I had to take what I learned there. And I was, like I said, I was 13, so I was still in the growing stage. So, um, you know, it was different. Uh coming from, you know, up north, there's a lot of guards and everyone got handles and then coming down south, it's a different type of game. You got more like all-around type players. So, I mean, it was just a different transition, but I was I was young enough to still be learning at the time, so I didn't, you know, it wasn't as hard. Like, I wasn't stuck in my ways at that point. I was still learning, still growing. Kelvin, you know, we had Coach Williams on, and we just talked about the culture that you guys have built and just the greatness that is the Jacksonville Giants. And I guess my question from your perspective is just what is it about you guys where you're so successful? Because I was in that practice, you know, and I understand. You guys have a lot of talent, but you also have a bunch of egos and different personalities. How do you make that work? Well, I guess it's just tradition. I mean, you you, you always want to come into a situation. That's like if you're going to the Lakers. Like, it doesn't matter if the Lakers are having a bad year, up and down year. Like, you know what the tradition stands for. So you always want to go give it your all. And every year when we play the other teams, you know, sometimes their best players or their better players end up playing for us a year later, two years later. So, you know, you kind of – you don't want to come to an organization like this and not stand out. This is the top. You know, this is this is the ABA's NBA. You know, this is the top team. This is the '90s Bulls team of the ABA. So, you know, every everyone wants to play on the team. So, you know, you always want to give it your all. And when you come through, like people don't like to come through here for a year. People want to come through two, three, four, five. See Jermaine Bell here ten years. You know, something's keeping them here. Mm-hmm. Talking to Giants forward here, Calvin Warner, and I think you bring up a great point where when you play for the Giants, it's not just a one-year thing and then you're out. I mean, it seems like a lot of guys on that team, they're they're vested. They're, they've been there for a while, including yourself. I mean, we're talking about you now. Um, you played professional basketball for the past 13 years, so obviously you're a staple on that team. You're a pillar on that team, um, if you will. I guess my question to you is, what do you still get out of it? You know, because obviously you've been playing basketball your entire life, and it's a very taxing sport. It's hard on your body. 
What makes you keep coming back year after year after year to try to give it your all? Well, first of all, this is my 17th year. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, 17th year. I got, I got, I, yeah, I got a couple more years. In there, but okay. uh, I guess it's just to thrive. It's just a love I have for the game. I've been doing it my whole life. So it's like I train myself my whole life to get to this level. So I just want to get out of it all that I can get out of it until my body tells me I can't give anymore. So when when you get to your age like you are right now, I mean, is the ABA it? Do you still have aspirations to possibly maybe go overseas, um, sign a big contract with another team, or is this kind of like where you're at right now? You're comfortable being a Jacksonville Giant? No, I continue to play overseas. I, I was still overseas this year. Okay. I was still overseas uh, until November, right before the season uh, started when I came here. So, yeah, I, I definitely plan on uh you know, going back overseas uh, when the opportunity comes and, and the economy gets back right. Um, in the meantime, it's always it is what it is. You know, with the Jones, like if I'm home and I'm available, then of course that's the only team I'm going to play for. So I have to ask them, like, what is that style like going from overseas? You know, going playing in that style of offense, that Euro League kind of style, and then coming back to Jacksonville and playing that style. Like, is it kind of hard to transition the both? And what are the differences? Well, it's not for me because I've been doing it so long. But for the average person, it'll probably be difficult because basketball is different, like all over the world. So mm. it's not like the ABA versus overseas because all overseas basketball isn't the same. It just depends on what region you're in, what country you're in, what team you're in. So it takes you to become a vet to to be able to adjust to different types of styles. And then, you know, my transition is easy, you know, for me, like I said, because I got so many years in it. But if I was a kid that was – you know, four, five, six years pro, I probably haven't been to too many different countries, so I may not know how to adjust. And it could be difficult. Talking to that, Kelvin Warner of the, of the Jacksonville Giants. He's got a few more questions for you, Kelvin. Obviously, uh, you know, you're a big Michael Jordan fan, all right? And, you know, the, the last dance just <laughs> aired, and uh, I'm sure you, much like I was watching, you were watching with your eyes peeled and everything. I mean, did you learn something new from the last dance? Because obviously being a vested basketball player like you are, I'm sure you followed it and everything, but what did you learn anything new about Michael Jordan where you just kind of sat back and said, dang, I had no idea it was like that? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I learned too much. I mean, you know, I grew up in, in, in that era, so I've seen a lot of it. But nothing was really surprising to me. And it's like, you know, when you get with the game and all sports, any sports, any type of player, like everyone has a story. Mm-hmm. So, like, everyone isn't just going to be all good and everyone isn't going to be all bad. Like, you know, it was it was his lifestyle. You can do a documentary on anybody and, you know, find out all their likes and dislikes and, and what's going on in their life better than well, nothing. I mean, he's Mike. Yeah. You know, I, I just say to everybody, just, you know, appreciate it. Kelvin, you bring up a great point. You know, like, obviously, that kind of showed Michael Jordan's life a little bit. You're a guy who's been around the game of basketball your entire life, and you you keep on playing the game. If they were to do a documentary about Kelvin Warner right now, what would be the biggest message that you want to get across about not only your style of play, but also your career in basketball in general? Man, just, just grind, work hard, and, like, be professional. That's that's my number one word to everyone is just be professional. You don't have to be a professional to be a professional. You can be in high school and act professional. That just means doing what you're supposed to be doing, taking care of yourself, doing whatever you need to be doing, whether it's in the classroom, on the court, on the field. Like you got to act professional. When you when you're out in the in the public, act as if you're a pro. You know, people know who you are, or they're going to someday. So you got to hold yourself accountable. 
you got to have your own work ethic. Nobody's going to, you know, hold your hand and do it for you. Like, you got to act professional. That's one of the things we learned. When you're coming out of college and, like, going overseas, there's no more college coaches. No one's training you in the summertime. Like, you got to be doing it yourself if you don't have a trainer. But when you sign your contract and you go to that team, like, you're going to that team who you are. And if you're not working out, and they, they're not giving you, like, you know, you might be in the NFL or something, you sign a year of contracts. And they will get rid of you that same day. <laughs> a few days. You might get two, three days. They'll send you back home. That's how overseas works. Talking to Jacksonville Giants forward here, Calvin Warner. We've got w- w- one more question for you, and then we'll let you go. We appreciate you kind of helping us celebrate here Jacksonville Giants Day on ESPN 690. You said it. You know, you've been on a lot of teams. You've been in a lot of locker rooms. You've seen a lot of players come and go. Um, you know, from my perspective, having played in the NFL, you know, probably almost 10 years ago now, um, I'm shocked at just how much the modern era NFL athlete has changed, just their personality, their style, how they approach the game. Do you kind of sense the same thing in terms of basketball from when you first started out playing professionally till now, just how much the game has changed, not only from obviously on the court, but also just the mentality of what a player brings to the table? It obviously is different considering my age and me still playing in a whole other generation. So it's different for me, but, you know, I was having this conversation with someone yesterday. I don't feel like you have to change yourself or who you are. Like, I've been playing basketball 17 years. The game has changed, it's evolved, but I didn't have to change with that. I've been playing my same game the whole time. So the same way if you are your professional, you might be the type of player that wears suits to the game. The new generation may not wear suits. You can still wear your suit. They might just gonna call you the old guy. <laughs> you the old guy wearing suits, and we wearing sweatsuits. But like, that's your professionalism. That's how you were brought up. <laughs> All right, but you have to be honest though. So, as far as the suits are concerned, are they tailored suits, Calvin? Are you rocking like the the MJ old school baggy suits? Oh man, you know I'm, I'm overseas. So like when I was overseas, we always had tailored. We get suits and stuff made for cheap. So nice. why not get a tailored it's cheap? <laughs> I like it, man. Calvin Warner, thanks for stopping on the show today. Celebrate the Jacksonville Giants. Keep drinking from the fountain of youth, man, and best of luck to the rest of your career. I appreciate you. Thank you, man. Awesome, man. Dude, that's – imagine that. You know, 17 years. I, I was misinformed. 17 years um, as a professional basketball player. Because I played one game in Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena, and I thought my body was going to shut down. And that that guy's got me by a couple of years. So whatever he's doing, he's he's like the Frank Gore, I guess, if you will, of the ABA. Some guys are just wired different. Some guys just cut from a different cloth. And obviously, Calvin Warner is one of those guys. Two weeks ago, we played uh, probably like two and a half hours of a pickup basketball game. Yeah. I think I'm still sore from it. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Do you ever play like if you're in the Y or you know playing at, at a gym? I mean, there, there's always those old heads in there, man. You know, there, there's yeah. always those guys with like the, the glasses and everything. Thing, you know, like those Horace Glant glasses that got the, the, the neoprene braces going on on the inside or sometimes on the outside of their jeans. You know, like it's just they're, they're old school types of players. But guess what, man? If you see one of those guys rocking those neoprene braces, you see one of those guys rocking those Horace Grant glasses. If you see some male pat- pat- pattern baldness on top of their head, you better believe they're going to be in for a long day. Because every one of those guys I used to play against in a pickup game, they always brought it. 
there, there was never one of those guys who was older than me where it was just like, ah, I'm just going to use finesse today against Austin Lane. Oh, no, man. It was elbows. It was knees. It was whatever you want. And when you call your own fouls, man, you better believe the next day you're going to be pretty sore. So that was great to hear from Kelvin Warner, man, kind of get his perspective a little bit, obviously being a big MJ fan like I am, what he thought about the last dance and obviously what he brings to the Jacksonville Giants and also playing a little bit overseas. When we come back here on ESPN 690, we're going to close out the last hour of the show. We're going to be joined by Maurice Mickens, point guard. Actually, fun fact about him, he was the guy on the team when he said, hey, if I get in a fight, you better have my back and punch somebody because you're only here for a game. So we're going to talk about that story later with Maurice Mickens, but we're also going to break in some more Doug Marone. What kind of coaching style is Doug Marone going to bring to the table this year? Because the reins are off now. Tom Coughlin's gone. This is Doug Marone's show. What is training camp going to be like, and what can we expect to see this year from the Jacksonville Jaguars? We break that down and much more. We'll get back on ESPN 690. You know, when I've been on the calls with, uh, you know, with Mike Lennon, having been involved with some of this offense, you know, when he, he was in Oakland or in Las Vegas now, I, I think it helped because we as coaches – and, and I always challenge the coaches on, on how you talk and communicate with players. You know, a lot of times, like all of us, we've all been educated in some form, grammar school, college, um, high school. You know, you have some teachers that communicate just at one level. Well, they'll connect to those students at the one level. And then sometimes if you if you don't communicate in that level, you, you're going to struggle to really know what's going on. You know, I've, I've worked with a lot of coaches before that believed in you know, bringing in a, a, a veteran player that has a background in the system, you know, at, at each position. Well, I think I, I've seen pluses and minuses, like I said, with, with everything, with that type of, of uh, philosophy. Hey, Coos, when you actually went to class, either at Flagler or in high school, who's your favorite teacher? Oh, man. Right? Try and recall when you actually went to class. I know it's hard right now. Think about it. Okay, I, yeah, I had a few favorite teachers, but okay. a, and, and I guess for different reasons. Okay, but um, all right, so give me like the first one that came to your mind. I would say, uh, specifically at Flagler, um, one of my favorite, I guess it's tied between Dr. Halcom and uh, Dr. Wysocki. All right, let's say Dr. Halcom because that name is easier pr- to pronounce. No offense <laughs> to Dr. Wysocki? Yeah. Okay, um, what was it about him that made him a great teacher? With Waisaki, uh Nope, Halcom, because that name is pronounced. Uh, yeah. It's she. So, oh, I'm sorry. This is my bad. She. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Dr. Halcom. <laughs> she was she was more willing to get on your level. It felt like, you know, yeah, like you it. really get on the, the same level with that that person. Or if I, for me, if I'm struggling, which happened more than <laughs> sure, <laughs> more did. than it should. Yeah, I'm sure it did when the university is trying to, you know, kick you out of school for cheating and stuff, too. Oh, yeah. you know, yeah. But, um. <laughs> Yeah, so I would say with, with Alcom, it was a very get on your level. Uh, I could relate. We kind of were able to, you know, see where I was coming from and try to explain whatever I was having trouble with in that. So, uh, angle. so what you're saying with that teacher is that you found the common ground. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what about for your other teacher that you mentioned? It was Wasaki. more of like, uh, not like a love hate, but it was more like a from a. I know you can do this, yeah. so I'm going to help you very minimally because I know you can figure it out yourself. I got you. With that other teacher that you just talked about, was there still some kind of common ground with 
hit him or her as well, or was that more there of just times, like yeah, yeah, Wes Hockey would open up, and, yeah. and and so I think there were times where you you know when when I needed it most, when I'm like, oh, no, I'm definitely not going to figure this out. Yeah, yeah. Know? Listen, and you you prove my point. Thank you for sharing. Um, I thought Doug Marone said something very interesting there, and when we talk about you know great teachers, great role models. Um, really great anything. Like even think back to when you were a kid and maybe you went to your first NFL training camp like I did and maybe you see like a Mark Brunel who signs your program. And in that moment, I was a Jaguars fan. I was a Mark Brunel fan because it wasn't about like, wow, this is the starting quarterback of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Check this out. It was the fact that Mark Brunel saw me towards the end of the line with my broke down bicycle. I rode my bike there from daycare and my tire was flat and he saw that and he came over to me and he signed something for me. Okay. It was the fact that he kind of brought it back down to the human element where it was like, dang, like Mark Brunel took time to sign my stuff. Right, And I think that's what makes great role models. I think that's what makes great teachers. And obviously, that's what makes great coaches. I've had all types of personalities when it comes to coaches. I've had the most laid-back players coach, like an Andy Reid or Coach Johnny Jernigan, like I've talked about a lot on this show, who was very influential in me to actually getting to the league in the first place. And I've had the crazy coaches. I've had the coaches who love to yell, like Joe Cullen. Just watch any NFL combine with a defensive line worker out and you're going to hear Joe Cohen's voice, I guarantee it. But my point is that I like playing for each style of coach because at the end of the day, he always did a great job of bringing it down to his level. He always did a great job of making an effort to relate to his players. Now, there was a few coaches that I've been very adamant about the show that when I played for, they didn't do that. Okay, It was like, this is a dictatorship, this is how we run things, and it is what it is. That's fine. But at the end of the day, you have to find some kind of common ground for your players or they're not going to want to play for you. And as soon as a position group, as soon as a locker room doesn't want to play for you, that's when the team's in trouble. Okay, and I think we saw that a little bit, obviously, with Tom Coughlin. Now, Tom Coughlin wasn't the coach, but he was the guy that was calling the shots. He was the guy that was trying to, you know, ingrain this culture, this old school mentality. And unfortunately, the Jacksonville Jaguars, those players in the locker room said, no, thanks, man. We're all good. We, we don't want to play for you. As soon as you lose a locker room like that where your players don't want to play for you, you're screwed. I mean, it's it, it's all but over because there's no way, regardless of how talented you have, no matter how many all pros, no matter how many pro bowlers you have, if your team does not want to play for you as a coach, you're screwed. Okay? So I think, you know, and we kind of teased it to open up the segment here. I'm sorry, open up the show today. When you watch the last dance, yes, the, the Chicago Bulls were absolutely stacked with talent. But they also had the cultivator. They also had the guy who made sure that everybody got along. And with Doug Marone, it really does beg the question right now is what kind of coaching style is Doug Marone going to bring to the table? Now, I know what you're saying. Well, Austin, we've seen it the past couple of years, right? We saw it back in 2017 when it was a hard training camp for the Jacksonville Jaguars and all the players were complaining. But guess what happened? They went to the AFC Championship game. We saw it last year where Doug Marone took more of the players' coach perspective, and I was like, you know what? Let's gonna go ahead and ease the reins a little bit on these players. Let's go ahead and, you know, I guess easy down. I mean, I don't want to say easy down because, I mean, listen, every training camp is going to be hard. I don't care how you run it. But let's go ahead and ease up on the reins just a little bit on how we approach the physicality of our training camp. What happened last year? You go 6-10. and 10. But I truly believe last year, the coach that you saw through all the turmoil, through all the Tom Coughlin drama, 
Last year, that coach wasn't uh, that coach wasn't Doug Marone. I think that coach last year was Doug Marone trying to make an effort to try to balance out what Tom Coughlin was bringing to the team. So that's why I'm saying this year we're actually going to see the very first year where the training wheels come off. We're going to see who Doug Marone is as a coach. And where do I think he falls in? I think he falls in somewhere between a player's coach but still a hard ass. I think this up-and-coming training camp, we're going to see a team that's going to work harder than they did last year. We're going to see a team that's being held more accountable than they did last year. We're still, we're still going to see a coach that likes to talk about the New York Yankees and have fun. But I think this year, accountability is going to be absolute. Because let's be honest, if it's not, then Doug Marone might be finding a new job come the end of the season. When we come back here on ESPN 690, we got the final hour coming up. We get into DeAndre Hopkins a little bit. Is he really the best wide receiver right now in the NFL? We're also joined by Maurice Minkins in the 530 uh, time segment here, where we're going to talk about the point guard who, in my opinion, is probably the most brash, probably the most trash-talking guy you're ever going to meet and your Jacksonville Giants. I can't wait to get into that with him as well. More on ESPN 690. It's Jacksonville Giants Day. When we get back here, stay tuned. If your restaurant has slow bathroom drains and grease blockages, call Superior Plumbing and Pipelining. Superior Plumbing and Pipelining's high-pressure sewer jetting and camera inspection of the drains will assure your peace of mind at your restaurant. Request a free estimate at superiorplumbingjacks.com. 